You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D&B Supply Show. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, and hey, thank you so much for joining us again this week. Well, you know, it's really fun to walk around a D&B Supply, look at things, and come up with ideas for episodes. And basically what I do is I, I walk through and I go, what in the world would I like to know more about? And I hope you like to know more about it as well. And over the past few years, I've seen so many people who have really been investing in really high-end coolers, ice chests. And I don't know anything about them, and I've always wondered, why are people willing to go out and to buy these really high-end ice chests? Well, I decided to solve that problem, and I'm so fortunate because we have a new vendor at DNB Supply called Cordova Coolers, which are selling these roto-molded ice chests, these coolers there. And so I was able to get the founder, the creator of this company, Scott Campbell, on the phone and able to interview him and bring you all this information about how they're manufactured and why they're so good, why they're so durable and all of that. But man, he's got such an interesting backstory as well. A former captain of a crab boat in the Bering Sea of Alaska on the show deadliest catch for several years. A really, really interesting backstory to bring you in addition to this. Now, I will tell you, full disclosure, prior to doing this interview, they gave me a cooler to try out, which I did, and I could not believe the ice retention. The ice just basically didn't melt over several days. In addition, I got to go tour the factory because they're doing all their manufacturing in Nampa, Idaho, and I got to see how this was done from start to finish, and it was a fascinating process and so cool that it's being done right here in our region. So we have Scott Campbell coming on here in just a moment to talk to you all about Cordova coolers, about roto-molded coolers, and why you might want to consider investing in one for yourself. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. Oh, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. You know, you've you've been very gracious in allowing me to come and look at the factory and test out a cooler and, and do all sorts of stuff. So I, I am super excited about Cordova Coolers and, and excited about learning more and kind of teaching everybody what the deal is with roto-molded coolers. So if it's okay with you, we'll just kind of jump in. Yeah, not a problem. No, I, I uh, you know, I always like to have People have some knowledge on our coolers before, uh, you know, they talk about it. So it was great that you were able to, you know, test the product so that you had a better understanding of it. Absolutely. And job well done, by the way. It worked awesome. It was incredible how well it worked. Well, let's do this. Uh, Just really quick for people listening who don't know you, introduce yourself really quick. Just tell us just a little bit about you, your family, that type of stuff. Yeah, you bet. So my name's Scott Campbell. Uh, A lot of people probably know me as a junior on the Deadliest Catch. I ran the Seabook. For well, let's see. I ran the Sea Book for about 15 years. Uh, I was on the deadliest catch for about four years. Uh, I was the guy that had the back surgery, which took me out of the fisheries, took me off the show. Still own the uh, the Sea Book. It's actually up crab fishing right now, believe it or not. And uh, you know, I grew up in uh, uh, Walla Walla, Washington, and my dad was a crab fisherman. So inherently, I would go up and uh, in the summertime, and if I wanted to see my dad, I'd spend my time uh, uh, with my dad up on the boat in the summers, and then I'd come back for school. So, you know, I've I've, I've been around the fishing industry my whole entire life, and I and quite honestly, uh, 
10 years ago, if you would ask me, Hey, you ever see yourself owning a cooler company? I would have laughed at the guy and said, you're crazy. I'm going to be a fisherman forever. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you know, certain turn of events and, uh, some health issues with my back going out that kind of changed, uh, you know, changed my tune and, and changed my focus in life. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of times the best intentions are the best laid plans. They just don't go the way we thought. Oh, yeah. No, that's that. that there's nothing more true than that, you know. Uh, you just you, you never know what life's going to throw at you, but you just got to deal with it as it comes. All right. Well, let's do this. I'm going to get into the history of how this all came up here in a little while, but I thought what we would do is we'd start off on just having you tell us what a roto-molded cooler is. I think that everybody's going to be familiar with this when you describe it, but I know that testing yours out was the first chance I've ever had to try one, and so let's just do that. Tell everybody what that means. Sure, you bet. So the difference between a rotational molded cooler and an injection molded cooler, like your Igloos and your, your older Coleman's and you know all the coolers that we actually grew up with, is the fact that there are two pieces on the lids and the body. So you have an outer shell and an inner shell that you actually glue together, and the air that's in between the two shells is your insulator. And, you know, I mean, for several years, that was kind of the standard, uh, uh, you know, way that we thought that coolers could be made. Well, in the uh, early 2000s, you know, Yeti was probably the most well-known for coming out and marketing uh, a rotomolded cooler, which is a one-piece body and a one-piece lid. And what that allows you to do is be able to put an injectable foam in between the inner shell and the outer shell without, you know, compromising the uh, integrity of the cooler. Well, what that does is that allows you to have a better R value. So now all of a sudden you have this cooler that, you know, you were used to maybe making, you know, a 24-hour uh, being able to hold ice for 24 hours, and now you're able to go out seven to 10 days in the right conditions and still have ice in the cooler, and it's a, it's really a game changer for the outdoorsman. Yeah, awesome, and and man, what a cooler it is! It's it's so sturdy and so strong, and then held the ice so well. I, I was blown away. I'd heard about the performance, uh, but then proved it to myself, and it was really incredible. And I wanted to ask you, you know. I, as I think back on the coolers that we bought when we were kids, I mean, sometimes we wouldn't even have one, and we'd be on our way to the lake, and we'd just pull off. We'd buy some styrofoam cooler in the store, fill it with drinks, fill it with ice, and and that was that. We have really kind of evolved when it comes to coolers. What makes these roto-molded coolers so much more valuable in terms of what we're paying for them, but then also how long we get to keep them compared to back then? Well, you know, that's a great question. The price point of these rotomolded coolers is, is, is uh, you know, it's extremely higher than an injection molded cooler that you're going to pay $60, $70 for. And, you know, I had a guy that says, you know, there's no way I'd ever buy a $300 cooler. It just, it, it, it's out of my price range. I'd never do that. He says, I just use my Igloos and my Coleman's. And I said, oh, okay. He says, how much you pay for that? And he says, well, I spend 60, 60 you know, to $70 a year on average. And I says, okay, well, how long does it last? He says, most of the time I can get a year out of it. Every now and then, that uh, you know, I have to drop it and I blow a lid off and I've got to get, you know, buy another one before the season's over. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how long have you been doing that? And he says, well, you know, he says, I've been doing it, well, at least 10 years, probably longer. And I <laughs> says, okay, well, let's back up a minute. So every year you're spending $70 on a cooler that's subpar that you have to stop and buy a new one every year. So now now we're $700 into this uh, this same cooler that we're talking about, this subpar cooler. 
how many times do you have to go get ice when you're on vacation? He says, well, every day I got to go in and get ice. And I says, okay, well, what's the cost of the gas, your time away when you're supposed to be relaxing on your camping trip that you're now having to drive and go and get ice? He says, well, geez, I never thought about it that way. And I says, well, now you're buying a Cordova cooler that is a rotomolded cooler that's a lifetime guarantee that will hold ice the whole time. Now that $300 investment sounds pretty cheap, doesn't it? And he says, well, by God, you're right. So a lot of times it's just got to be put in perspective. When you're buying this cooler, it's a one-time purchase that you're going to buy, and it's going to last you, you know, your lifetime as long as you take care of this cooler, and you're never going to have to buy another one. You're never going to have to have your vacation ruined because you run out of ice and you're in the backcountry and you can't get ice, and you go on a five-day trip and you've got a day's worth of ice, you're in trouble. Well, and what you just said about it lasting you a lifetime, and with your coolers, that's literally true because you're offering a lifetime guarantee with them, right? Absolutely. We offer a lifetime guarantee on our coolers, and the reason why is we've over-engineered these things. Uh, you know, I put these things through the test, uh, uh, you know, because I'm pretty rough on my on my product, and I wanted to design a cooler that would stand up to the way that I use a cooler, and, uh, you know, ours have. And, you know, the other thing that's uh, different about our coolers that makes it unique is uh, every part's replaceable on it. So if you have a latch that your dog chews off, you know, we can send you a replacement latch. You can actually, you know, change that latch out yourself. So everything on our coolers is replaceable. That's that's one thing that, that we do different than other uh, rotomolded coolers. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'm gonna, I am gonna I want to ask you more about Cordova specifically. Then I want to get into the story because the story of how this all came about is really a fun one to, to hear. Absolutely. You already know that Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet, but that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda, which means exclusive features like the 4-in-1 twin-blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or when mulching, actually feeding your lawn with important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a three- or five-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select D&B supply stores in eastern Oregon and southern Idaho. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler Apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply all right scott well now that we're back you know as we were talking before we went into the break about coolers i'm thinking about my history with coolers and i have always gauged my coolers on how long it takes for those hinges to break eventually they're all going to break and then the lid just kind of sits on top uh, there's nothing attaching it to the cooler so as you're talking i just kept thinking about that is uh, that's how i judged how good a job i did buying a cooler was how long it took those hinges to break but not anymore yeah, absolutely. You know, that's the one thing was we use a, a stainless steel bolts that are our hinge pins for, you know, our coolers. And, and it's going to be pretty tough to break a stainless steel bolt. You know, uh, it's going to take a lot of force to be able to do that. Uh, adverse to the old plastic hinges that are on the uh, right. uh, the older coolers. Yeah. Now, how many types and sizes of coolers are you currently producing? We have five sizes. Uh, you know, the first size is the Mastercraft cooler. That cooler we designed, that's what really started the company, is the Mastercraft cooler. Then we have our small, which is a small 35, and then we have a medium 50, we have a large 100, and we have our extra large, that's 125. Then we also have 
two water jugs. So we're the first company to cut for the working man to have an insulated water jug that will hold ice water cold for up to 40 hours in 100 degree temperatures. And we all know that the the igloos and the and the Rubbermaid water jugs, uh, you know, you're lucky to get four or five hours out of those. And then the hottest part of the day when you want a nice cold drink of water, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, you throw those two in the mix, and we have seven different sizes. Well, now, I mentioned before that I got to come down and and tour the factory and see how this all was done, and it was fascinating, and and really watching the quality control and the cleanliness on the floor and all of that was really interesting to watch. But the reason I was able to do that is that you're producing these and you're manufacturing these right here in Idaho, uh, as a matter of fact, in Nampa, Idaho. How did you choose Idaho? And let's talk about that, your facility there for a minute. You know, it's funny because I came from Washington and uh, we knew that we had to expand out of Walla Walla. It was just a little bit too far off the beaten path from the interstates. And and so when we were looking at making a change, you know, we had four options. We really had Seattle, we had Portland, we had uh, Boise area, and we had Denver. And, uh, you know, every time I came on a vacation and I would come into Idaho, I was just... I, it, it's funny because I always thought, God, this would just be such an awesome place to live. I mean, the, the people are so friendly here. You know, it's an outdoors state. You know, I mean, pretty much everybody has a camper. It reminded me of a kid, you know, in, in Washington, you, you have to go to a campsite where, you know, you have plug-ins and it's a pay campsite to be able to camp. You know, I come uh, and uh, I'd come into Idaho and I'd go camping with my friends that I, that I have here in Idaho and we'd go boondocking. Well, you just pull off the side of the road somewhere and you, and you camp and you dry mm-hmm. camp and you have the best time ever. Well, I, I remembered that as a kid because that's what we, we used to be able to do up in Washington and Oregon area that you can no longer do anymore. And so for me, it was like, God, this is just a perfect fit. I mean, Idaho makes more sense than any other state, and that's a very business-friendly state. And, uh, you know, when we moved here uh, a little over a year ago, it's funny because we've been here a little over a year now, and my wife and I were talking the other day and we're like, we talked about making this move 10 years ago, and we look at ourselves now and say, God, we should have done this 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe it took us this long to get to Idaho. Well, that's great. And, and you came to Idaho and you brought jobs with you. How many people are you employing here in our state? So right now we've, uh, we've ramped up from last year. We had uh, five employees, and we have over 30 employees now. And we expect by the end of the year with the, with the growth rate of Cordova, and the added shifts and, and machinery that we're going to be bringing in, we expect that we're going to be close to 75 people by the end of the year, maybe even more. That is great news. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take another quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about manufacturing in the United States. You bet. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at DMB Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field. With continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright. Stop on by select DNB supply stores for Powder River livestock handling equipment. Make quick work of your yard work with a little help from DNB supply because here you can pick up steel power tools, legendary for getting the job done fast. Here's one power player that'll really blow you away, or at least it'll blow those pesky leaves away, the Steel BG56CE Handheld Blower. It's powerful, lightweight, and easy to start. Plus, it's a real steel at the everyday low price of just $179.95. Get it all done in one blow and grab a steel at your favorite D&B. Well, Scott, you have made 
the conscious decision to produce your coolers in the United States and and you're remaining I mean you're well beyond remaining competitive you're very competitive so what did you have to do to be able to make your coolers in the United States and stay competitive well here's what we had to do when we first started we were having a third party make our coolers up out of Minnesota which we found was a, was a challenge because we were having the coolers made up there we were having them shipped to us and then we were having to ship them back out to our customers so we were paying double the shipping and the other problem was is with our quantities, we were getting kicked to the back of the list, you know, on their production schedule because they were making more than just our coolers. So we knew that if we were going to be competitive and we were going to be able to uh, control our own destiny on being able to get our products out on a timely manner, we had to bring the manufacturing underneath our own roof. And when we did that, we found that we were able to, you know, get uh, better buys on our product and with our labor costs and being able to cut out one leg of the shipping, what we found is we were able to save quite a bit of money. And, you know, we could have been greedy and we could have kept that for ourselves and kept our price points where they were. But we thought, you know, we really need to pass this on to our customers because we want to try and get a rotational molded cooler that's at a working man's price because those are the guys that we want to cater to. So what we ended up doing is we ended up taking that cost savings that we seen and passed it on through to our end user. And that's how we can be at the price points that we are adverse to you know, our competitors, Yeti and the, and the other guys that are quite a bit more expensive than us. Now, how many are you producing a day here in Nampa? So right now we're producing uh, about 150 coolers a day, and we should be able to max out about 500 coolers a day when we're running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. Now, I looked at this process when I was there at the factory and, and had you explain it to me, but I would fall really short trying to explain this to our listeners and how it worked. Can you kind of take us, I guess briefly, but from start to finish on how this goes? Yeah, you bet. So, uh, you know, when it starts out, you know, the, uh, the, with the polyethylene that we use for the shell is in a powder form. It's almost like a sand. Then we pour, we, you know, we weigh that out for our molds and, the, you know, each size of mold has a different weight. We pour it into our molds. It goes into an oven for a certain amount of time. And while it's in the oven, and this is why they call it rotational molding, because the mold actually spins around in the oven and that's what makes the plastic flow out and make the uh, outer shell. Once it comes out of there, we pull the plastic uh, uh, part out and we put it on a cooling fixture so that it'll keep its shape. From there, we put it into a foaming fixture where we inject the foam into the inner wall to give it the insulation value that you everybody's been accustomed to with a rotomolded cooler. From there, it goes through the assembly line, uh, gets all the widgets and gadgets, the latches, the, the uh, handles, the drain plugs, uh, you know, the rubber feet on the bottom, uh, the gasket, gets a good uh, cleaning, uh, gets put in a box and, and ready to ship. So from start to finish, you're looking at about two hours from the time that, uh, you know, it's a, a, in a pellet form till it can go into a box. So it's pretty labor intensive to spit out, you know, just one single cooler adverse to like injection molded coolers where, you know, you can spit out thousands of those a day. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a matter of fact, you can put, uh, you know, hundreds an hour. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, that process. But, you know, the quality is just not there because, I mean, they're just stamping them out and there's no, like I say, it's a, it's a two-part piece and there's, there's no way to get any insulation value out of them. And, and quite frankly, 
frankly, that's why you know they're at the cost points that they're at, but they just don't last. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's jump to the history. I want to I want to talk the story because that's a really interesting part. I mean, spent the first half of the show kind of learning about these coolers, which I'm fascinated by how all this works and why they work so well. But let's talk about the history really quick of Cordova coolers. And I guess when did this all begin? So this all began back in, uh, you know, the, the, the thought process of, of it began back in, I would say, the summer of 2013, I believe, is, is when this all came about. Uh, I bought a brand-new Mastercraft boat, beautiful boat. I was out on the Snake River. It was a 105-degree day. And on the Mastercraft boats, they put an igloo cooler underneath the cushion of the boat there. And so we loaded that thing up with beer. We were out having a good time. And about two and a half hours in, the beer was 85 degrees. There was no ice left in, in the cooler. And uh, I had a buddy that had had a Yeti cooler in the back of his truck. So we went back in, we grabbed his Yeti cooler and, and, uh, you know, I was kind of bummed out because I had this awesome boat and had this crappy cooler. And, and so we finished out the day with that Yeti cooler above deck. Well, I was tripping over it all the time, moving it because we had some people that were, uh, surfing on the left side and some were surfing on the right side. So, you know, this big old cooler was right in the way. So, you know, I was complaining about it. My buddies, uh, you know, all, they basically bet me. You know, I said, God, I know I could build a better cooler than that, the igloo cooler that came with uh, the Mastercraft boat. And they said, well, I bet you couldn't build a better cooler than that. And I said, by God, I know I can. Well, the next day they reminded me uh, about the bet that we'd had the day before. And, and I says, oh, so you guys, uh, you guys don't think I can do this, huh? And, I said, and one of my buddies says, yeah, I, I know this designer, and he's helped me design some stuff before I'll hook you up with him. And so I called this designer, and he says, oh, yeah, three weeks, I could design you a cooler. That's a pretty basic deal, no problems. And I called a, a tooling company that actually makes the molds for rotomolding, and they says, yeah, if you have a design to us in two months, we can have you a mold cut, and you can actually get into production. I'm thinking, well, geez, this is easy. You know, two and a half months, you know, let's throw a little fudge factor in, say three and a half months, I'm going to be producing a road molded cooler. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, unfortunately, my design took about six months uh, instead of two to three weeks like I'd been told. And then when I got it to the tooling company, they said, hey, this is a great injection molded uh, design, but it can't be rotomolded. And they told me all the reasons why. So I basically had to start over from scratch again. And it was about 18 months when I got my first prototype. The funny thing about it, it took me about 18 months to get through the right channels to, to go back and pitch my idea to Mastercraft uh, Boat Company. Well, when I got my prototype, I flew back. I met with Mastercraft Boat Company. They had been looking for a rotomolded cooler, and you know they'd, they'd reached out to Yeti. They'd reached out to Grizzly, all these other cooler companies. But the problem that they all had is they all have rope handles. And the rope handles uh, underneath the cushion would fall into the slot, and there was no way to get the cooler back out of that compartment. So they needed something that had a rigid handle. And I said, well, so I knew that going in, uh, and that's why they were using the igloo coolers, because they had the little rigid plastic handles. And I thought, gosh, you know, I don't really care for those rope handles anyway, because they pinch my hands, and uh, when they get fully loaded, it puts your hands into the top of the lid and kind of pinches them. And I says, well, geez, you know, I'm going to build a, a, a rigid handle. And then I got to thinking, you know how many times I've been out, and I haven't had a bottle opener with me. Uh, I'm going to build a bottle opener into my rigid handles. And, 
you know, so that's how, that's kind of how it got started. I went back and, and Mastercraft loved that. They loved the bottle opener feature in, in the rigid handles and, and it fit perfectly into the, uh, the boat, uh, uh, mold that they had. And, and the rest was kind of history. We got a multi-year contract with them and that was kind of the start of Cordova coolers. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about, uh, I guess where the name Cordova comes from and, and some of that history from, from back in Alaska. Okay. Sounds great. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Bayland Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Bayland Country at DNB. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Bayland Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Bayland Country at DNB Supply. This is Bill's yard, and Bill's a grill master, not a grass expert. Still, he won't let weeds invade his backyard barbecue kingdom. And with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed, Bill can clear out weeds, green up his lawn, and hold his spatula high. Because Scott's Weed Grip formula is twice as effective on dandelions as it used to be. This is a Scott's Yard. Pick up Scott's Weed and Feed today. Well, Scott, now that we're back, let's talk about the name Cordova. Where does that come from? You know, it's funny because we have a mountain range that's on the, on the uh, face of our coolers and on the sides of our coolers. And Cordova, the town of Cordova, Alaska, is smacked up against a big, huge mountain range. The only way into this town is by boat or by plane. You can't drive to Cordova, Alaska, so mm-hmm. it's a real rugged town. We have a very rugged cooler. The, the name just kind of seemed to fit with the cooler. Just uh, That's kind of how we decided to come up with uh, Cordova coolers. And now I'm assuming that uh, the reason you know about Cordova, Alaska, has to do with your history as a as a crab boat captain in Alaska. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I've spent several uh, several years in and out of uh, Cordova, Alaska, and some remote locations like Dutch Harbor, Alaska, and St. Paul, and and so you know when I was uh, fishing. I got to see some of the most beautiful scenery, you know, with the mountain ranges, especially in Cordova. They've got some glaciers there and, and it's some mountain ranges that are just uh, up in the Prince William Sound that, you know, are just, uh, it's, it's like a slice of heaven. But then you can also have the flip side when you're out in the Bering Sea and it's blowing 70 miles an hour and you got 30 to 50 foot waves and you have your occasional rogue waves uh, that you pay for that beauty, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. Absolutely. And and along those same lines, I mean, how does how does one find themselves uh, operating a crab boat in the Bering Sea and doing that for a living? That uh, that's so unconventional for so well, almost everybody else. You know, it really is. I mean, you get you get a lot of people that have seen the show and say, well, I could do that for a day. <laughs> uh, yeah, anybody can do it for a day. But to do it day in and day out is it's it's a mental challenge doesn't matter what your physical stature is. It's 100% mental. I've seen guys that have came out. We've actually had guys that were in the special services of the Army, uh, uh, the armed services, and they couldn't make it. You know, and it was they mentally let themselves get beat up because they're like, hey, I did this in the Army. I was in the special services. Why am I struggling so hard out here on the Bering Sea? And they'd actually cripple and, and quit on you. And then I'd have guys that would be, uh, you know, that you'd see them walking down the dock and you were in a pinch and you had to hire a guy and you're like, God, I just hope this guy makes it for a trip. 
And he was mentally tough enough and end up being one of your better deckhands. So you never could judge a book by its cover. But, you know, when you're out there and you're fatigued and you've been, you know, working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, because we never take days off. And then when we take days off is when the season's over and we fly home. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and there was times that, you know, one day ran into another day and you were trying to get finished up and make a delivery schedule and you just couldn't stop. So uh, it's pretty amazing what the human body can do. Uh, to me, it was just a job. I had a firefighter come up to me one time, and he, he said, he, and he'd been in a, a, a pretty bad accident, and had his arm burned up and, and, and part of his leg, and, and he was still an active firefighter. And he comes up to me and says, man, you're the craziest guy I know. I cannot <laughs> believe you're out there in the Bering Sea doing that. And I looked him square in the eye, and I says, dude, you're 10 times crazier than me because there's no way I'd ever run into a burning building. So, you know, it's just the, you know, it's, it's the thought process to him, you know, being a firefighter was a job. It was his way of life to me. Fishing was a way of my life, you know, but there's things that, you know, that for a guy like that, that he just, he couldn't comprehend the Bering Sea and I couldn't comprehend going into a burning building. (laughs) Right. Well, those two things are, uh, sound very different by the way, you know, the sea and a burning Mm -hmm. building, but you know, you mentioned, you mentioned hiring somebody and hoping they make it for a trip. What, in the world do you do if you get all the way out there and somebody says, hey, I can't do this one more day? You know, that happens more often than not. Uh, you get a guy on and, and you get him out there and he thinks, okay, well, if I quit, the boat's going to go in and, and uh, I'm going to be able to get off in a couple of days and, and uh, you know, go back home. The boat doesn't stop. You know, uh, we always take an extra guy just in case somebody quits or gets hurt so that you can finish off your trip. So they got to go and they, they sit in inside uh, in their bunk for, you know, up to seven to 10 days. And sometimes that, you know, guys sit there and think about it. They get a little bit of rest and, and they want to give it another try. But most of the time they have to sit there and they, and just, you know, wait it out because you know we can't afford to go in every time somebody wants to quit right. so they just got to sit in their bunk and and ride it out and and they got to pray that we're on good fishing so that they can get home sooner and now here you are you're living in a landlocked state do you ever miss being out there on the ocean <laughs> i miss I, I miss the water i i really do that is one thing you know i've been around the water more than I've been on land, so it's a, I, I kind of feel like a duck out of water right now. But uh, I'm learning to adapt. But I usually go up uh, once a year to Kodiak, Alaska, and and uh, the boat comes in every single year for maintenance. So I usually get a you know a two three week period up there where I can go up and help with the maintenance and oversee a few projects, and and then you know I I come back home and and. Uh, get rolling with the coolers again all right well let's take one last break when we come back i've got some questions to wrap it all up and and bring it back together all right all right sounds great spring is already in the air at dnb supply because we've got dewalt blowers and trimmers on hand to get you ready for the road or yard ahead power through your outdoor spring cleaning with dewalt's flex bolt 60 volt max handheld blower or string trimmer with a super powered lightweight lithium ion battery they're designed to take charge of tough overgrowth and heavy duty chores it's ready set Blow when you spring into action with your DeWalt blower or trimmer at DNB now. At DNB Supply, we don't let anything bog us down because we have bog boots, the ultimate footwear for working outside in any weather. Bogs are made to face the elements no matter what. Mud? No problem. Snow? Plow right through. Water? Make a splash. They'll keep your feet warm and dry in any season, anywhere you want to wander. 
with styles and sizes for every job and everyone in your family. Pick up a pair of bog boots. Available now at your favorite D&B. Well, Scott, now that we're back, I, you know, it's funny. You've got a different way of looking at things, and that's obvious because almost nobody goes out and, and fishes in the Bering Sea for a living, at least percentage-wise, for the population of the United States. But then who in the world gets challenged to make a cooler and they they find their way into roto molding and in all this type of stuff i mean it's one thing to have somebody say hey if you think you can do better go do it but you did it and found a designer and and all this technology i mean this is a complex process you obviously look at things different than uh, the typical person yeah you know i do i've always been uh, told that i'm a hard worker i've never been told i've always made the smartest decisions but uh, when i get focused on something uh, I, I i don't quit until i see it through and and looking back now, uh, you know, this uh, this roto-molded uh, cooler business is a lot bigger challenge than I could have ever imagined the Bering Sea being. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there was so many unknowns that I did not know about. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, you just have to deal with it from a day-to-day basis. You know, I mean, a temperature change outside of 10 degrees makes all the difference on how your material flows with the plastic. I mean, the little mm-hmm. things like that I would have never thought of. You know, I mean, luckily I'm a fast learner because... Uh, uh, if if I wasn't, I can promise you that Cordova coolers would not be around today. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of, of looking at things differently, I wanted to ask you and kind of wrap it up talking about a few of the features that you've put on the cooler. So I know using a top latch is something that's new when it comes to rotomoto coolers. Why did you choose that? You know, the biggest reason that I put the top latch mounting system uh, on our latches is the latches are attached to the body, not the lid. Because I was so tired of, you know, buying premium coolers and having to drop my tailgate to access my cooler. Or if I had it in my boat and had a bunch of stuff packed around it, or if it's in a raft, Mm -hmm. you'd either have to cut the latches so that you could access your your lid to get it in, or you'd have to pick the whole cooler up just to get into it. And it's like, God, why hasn't anybody thought about this? There was no other cooler company that's done that. And to me, it just made perfect sense. You know, some of the other features that we have is, uh, you know, roto-molded coolers, the lids are very heavy. I guarantee everybody's had their hand smashed by a lid with the boat rocking around or they throw it up, a gust of wind comes while they're digging in it, and they get their hand smashed by the lid. So we put a lid lock system in it. So when you open that lid, it stays open until you close it. You know, we uh, we have a raised tray on the top of our lids. Everybody says, well, what would you do that for? Well, if you're a fisherman, you throw your tackle on top. Uh, another guy comes by, rocks the boat, your tackle slides off, and you, you're digging hooks out of the carpet of your boat. Well, with ours, it's going to stay up on top. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, we did the, the hard-sided handle so that it creates stability for the uh, cooler and also integrated the bottle opener, which we talked about a little bit before that. But we even took it a step further, and we put a true blue sensor in our cooler. So underneath the lid, you pre-chill your cooler, that sensor turns blue. Everybody always says that they they pre-chill their cooler. But now if you're going on a five- or seven-day camping trip and you open up your cooler day one, day two, and you see that that true blue sensor isn't blue anymore, but you still have a ton of ice, means you got too much direct sunlight on your lid, Move your cooler in the shade. Little things like that will get you through those extra couple of days where you really need it. And, uh, 
you know, we have an airtight seal. So when you drop the lid on our coolers, it's like, it sounds like a refrigerator door shut. It's the best example that I can use as a comparison. So when you drop that lid down, you can actually feel that air pushing out because if you leave your lid open for one minute, that's an hour of ice retention that you've lost because that little bit of heat that stays in that uh, cooler, it takes an hour's worth of ice uh to absorb that heat and get that inner cooler cooled down again. So by our lid being airtight as it drops down, it helps push that hot air out when you're getting in and out of your cooler. Well, it's a great product. I have really enjoyed seeing how it was manufactured and and getting to test it out and so excited to to get to speak to somebody uh, who has done what you've done and had the vision to go, I can do that and I can make one that, that works perfect for these folks here and having the, having the end user in mind. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us today and, and spending the time to kind of educate us about these coolers. Yeah, you bet, Matt. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, you know, I love telling the story of our product because it's just, I mean, it's such a great product. And, and uh, I just love telling the story. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.